for the Redeemer family. So, oh. yeah, I want to share that. Thank <laughs> 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 Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate that. Well, maybe that's a good transition for me giving a message and trying to earn my keep um, on that, that side of things as well. And I, this is great. I think maybe next week we'll just keep doing some more stories of grace. I think it's hard to pack it all into a short period of time. So we'll spill over into next week for sure. But um, let me, Lene, I thank you so much. I really appreciate that. One of the great joys for me of uh, being a pastor is, is connecting with you and doing that outside of just Sunday mornings, which has been difficult during this time. Um, so I, I miss that and I look forward to it um, again too. So that's very kind of you, Linnea. Thanks. You make it easy. Linnea, you're such a gift giver. So uh, anyway, I wanted to go ahead and I'm going to mute everybody here and kind of take over. Share a little bit from God's word uh, from you. And we're doing this series on, on I am. I'm going to go ahead and share my screen again. And hopefully there's no, no confusion over what happens and who's sharing and that kind of thing too. Um, right here. This is the passage that we're looking at today. Messing around with my computer a little bit because it's doing something strange. There we go. Nope. Hold on. There we are. Okay. So this is the passage. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So last week we talked about Jesus saying, I am the bread of life. And today we're looking in John 8, 12 at these words of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. And even if you don't, aren't familiar with uh, the Bible and some of what Jesus means, you can understand that this is a good thing. When he says, I am, and then he fills in the blanks. When last week he said, I'm the bread of life, we need bread, we need sustenance. Now he says, I'm the light of the world. And light is good, we, we crave that, we, we want it. We know it's actually good for us. I don't know how many of you have watched Catch Me If You Can. It's a movie telling the story of Frank Abagnale. And I remember hearing about his story even before the movie came out on an interview or radio show. So basically, if you're unfamiliar with it, this, this is a, as, a, as a teenager, he left home and he was an imposter. Um, he was really good at fabricating things, uh, pretty good at uh, getting money in, uh, in, in certain ways, and fake checks and that kind of stuff. But he also was an imposter in terms of his uh, professional uh, appearance. So he pretended to be a pilot and did that for a while. He pretended to be a lawyer, did that for a little while. He pretended to be a doctor and did that for a little while. But he had no credentials for any of those things. And I don't know about you, but if you were to go see a doctor and uh, you would want to know, you're kind of trusting that you're going to get good care. You'd, you'd think they've been through school, that people tested them, that they've practiced, that they have a degree validating the claim that they're a doctor. But that wasn't the case for Frank Abendale. He was, a, he was an imposter. And in this passage here, when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law of that day, are basically wondering if he is really valid. He's, where's your testimony? Who's, besides you, 
who is verifying that you are this so-called light of the world and you can give others the light of life. And Jesus responds by saying, I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. Now you remember in John 8, 58, we're in John chapter 8. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. And that's when they start wanting to stone him because he's claiming to be God. He's claiming to be coexistent with the father. And when they say, who is your validating testimony? Who's your witness that you are who you say you are? Jesus says, my father is the one who sent me. That is God who is in heaven is the one who is validating that I can say this and it's actually true. Jesus is making a claim about who he is and where he came from. He's claiming to be the son of God. And they don't believe him. Well, is it true then? Is this claim that Jesus speaks of true? And why is he saying that he came from the father? So if you remember when John is writing this, this kind of recalls the very opening verses of John back in chapter one. And John says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life and that life was the light of men. So there's a backstory here. You know, backstories are great. When Jesus shows up, he's saying, there is a backstory to my life. And John is, is in, uh, reinforcing that concept. In the beginning was the word. Jesus isn't just given in, in the flesh and space and time as if he existed then. He, exact, he existed beforehand. That's the backstory. And if you open up to Genesis and look at even to the backstory there too, didn't look like I got that whole slide on there. You'll, you'll read in Genesis chapter one, in the very opening verses of the Bible, Genesis chapter one, verses one through three. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the water. So in the beginning, there's darkness. And God said, the first thing he says is, let there be light. And there was light. So all the language that Jesus is using recalls all the way back to before time, suggesting that he was there. And as John says, he was the agent of creation. He was present in creation. He's the one through whom all things were made. Darkness existed, but light was spoken. And the agent of creation is Jesus himself, who now shows up and saying, I am the light of the world. And that's not just a statement for those people at that time. It's a statement for who he always has been, for what he always does, for what he brings. He is very light of very light. Some of you are familiar with the Athanasian Creed, written hundreds and hundreds of years ago, trying to describe the person of Jesus. And one of the phrases it uses is, he is very light of very light. So when Jesus says, I am the light of the world, then he's making a statement about his ontology. We used this word a week or two ago. Uh, it's an ontological reality. It's just a philosophical term people have used to describe the essence 
of something. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, it's a statement about the very central aspect of his being. This is who he fundamentally is. He is the son of God, the coexistent one, eternally. And out of that reality, he is light. And the first words spoken in creation are light. So this is the essence of who he is. Another fancy way of saying that is an ontological reality. That's very significant because Jesus isn't just saying something to say something. When he says he's the light of the world, it's flowing out of the fundamental nature of who he is as the second person of the Trinity. Now, I have, I think in the past month, gotten a lot of questions about the Trinity. Trinity is a confusing concept for sure. And it's been from adults and children as well. Even some of my own kids trying to wrestle with how does this work? Is Jesus God or is he just a piece of God? And it can be a confusing concept for sure. So I'm going to let you in. I'm going to share a video with you that, uh, that attempts to explain this because we often use analogies. But at the end of the day, it's, it's, it's a mystery, but it's, it's a significant mystery that we need to try to, uh, to understand. So enjoy this, this uh, brief description here as I share this video of the Trinity and get a little glimpse of why it's important that Jesus is fundamentally. Now, why is it doing that? Here we go. There we go. Hope everybody can see that. Here we are. Okay, Trinity thing. Okay, Patrick, tell us a bit more about this Trinity thing. Yeah, Patrick, tell us. But remember that we're simple people without your fancy education and books and learning, and we're hearing about all of this for the first time, so try to keep it simple. Okay, Patrick? Yeah, real simple, Patrick. Sure, there are uh, three persons of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, yet there is only one God. Don't get what you're saying here, Patrick. Not picking up what you're laying down here, Patrick. Could you use an analogy, Patrick? Sure. Uh, the Trinity is like uh, water and how you can find water in three different forms. Liquid and ice and vapor. That's modalism, Patrick! What? Modalism, an ancient heresy confessed by teachers such as Noetus and Sibelius, which espouses that God is not three distinct persons, but that he merely reveals himself in three different forms. This heresy was clearly condemned in Canon 1 at the First Council of Constantinople in 381 AD, and those who confess it cannot rightly be considered a part of the Church Catholic. Come on, Patrick! Yeah, get it together, Patrick! Uh, okay, uh, then the Trinity is like uh, the sun in the sky, where you have the star, and the light and the heat. Oh, Patrick. Come on, Patrick. That's Arianism, Patrick. Arianism? Yes, Arianism, Patrick. A theology which states that Christ and the Holy Spirit are creations of the Father and not one in nature with him. Exactly like how heat and light are not the star itself, but are merely creations of the star. That's a bad analogy, Patrick. You're the worst, Patrick. All right, sorry. The Trinity is like... Uh, this three-leaf clover here. I'm gonna stop you right there, Patrick. Yeah, hold your horses, Patrick. You're about to confess partialism. 
partialism? Yes, partialism. A heresy which asserts that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not distinct persons of the Godhead, but are different parts of God, each composing one-third of the divine. And who confesses the heresy of partialism? The first season of the cartoon program Voltron, where five robot lion cars merge together to form one giant robot samurai, obviously... I've never heard of Voltron. Of course you haven't. It's not going to exist for another 1,500 years now, Patrick. Yeah, get with the program, Patrick. I mean, really, Patrick. I'm going to stab you in the face, Patrick. Okay, that was probably a bit much. All right, I'll try again. Uh, the Trinity is like how the same man can be a husband and a father and an employer. Modalism again. All right, then it's like the three layers of an apple. Partialism revisited. Fine. The Trinity is a mystery which cannot be comprehended by human reason, but is understood only through faith and is best confessed in the words of the Athanasian Creed, which states that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance, that we are compelled by the Christian truth to confess that each distinct person is God and Lord, and that the deity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is is one, equal in glory, co-equal in majesty. Well, why didn't you just say that, Patrick? Yeah, quit be <laughs> Okay, so you can try to unpack that a little bit later, too. Um, and the reason, besides it slightly humorous, is that it is, it is a challenging concept to, to grasp that uh, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, uh, one person co-equal in glory, but it's a significant one because this is saying that Jesus always has been, always will be. And when he says he's the light of the world, this is because he is God himself. So it's, I spent a little bit of time there to kind of unpack the, the, the sense that this is a reality of who he is. And from that flows these other aspects of what it means when Jesus says, I am the light of the world. This is an ontological reality. But more than that, when he says, I'm the light of the world, it's a spiritual reality. This is something that's very clear if you read the rest of John 8 into John chapter 9 as well. That is that without the light of Christ, we dwell in spiritual darkness. It's impossible to have clear 2020 spiritual vision without seeing Jesus as the light of the world. Or... Perhaps better said, without Jesus shining the light of truth on our dark souls, we remain blind to the things of God. There's a very graphic demonstration of this reality in John chapter 9. If you want to read that a little bit later today, there's a man who is born blind and his disciples see him and they have a conversation. And at the end of it, Jesus heals him on the Sabbath day and gives him sight. And there's a debate by the Pharisees, can this person really be from God because he's broken the Sabbath and there's some back and forth. And the man says, well, I don't know. All I can tell you is that I couldn't see and now I can. And that physical demonstration of Jesus giving sight to the blind is leveraged by him later in John 9 to give a picture of a spiritual reality that you cannot see who Christ is as the light of the world without spiritual sight, that there are many who are blind to who he is and the reality of him being the light of the world. And because of that, they won't have spiritual life. They're not enlightened. They haven't had their eyes open. Paul prays about this. I pray that the eyes of your heart might be enlightened so that you can see who Christ really is. 
the leaders of that day have a worse malady than being physically blind. It was being spiritually blind. And that the man whose eyes are opened is used as an illustration for the deeper problem of spiritual darkness. And Paul plays on this theme a bit later to I mean, listen to this language in 2 Corinthians 4. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You hear all the same language that John is dealing with. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, right back there in creation again, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. That is a very rich passage saying just what John is, that we have got to be unblinded and have spiritual sight. And that happens in a way when Jesus shines a light in our hearts. And by his spirit, we can now see him for who he really is. So if you have, say, loved ones who don't see this spiritual reality, this is a great thing to pray. Pray against the blindedness and foresight that God himself shines a light into their hearts so they can see properly who God is. And that brings us to uh, another reality here. When Jesus says, I am the light of the world, not just an ontological reality, a spiritual reality, but it's actually a moral reality as well. The Bible says there is darkness and there is light. There is wrong and there is right in the moral realm, that there is a truth, that there is good action and bad action and good thought and bad thought in the realm of thought and behavior. Then sinful hearts, though, love dwelling in darkness. That is our default mode, to hide and cover up and not be exposed for who we really are. Shame, like Michael discussed earlier as well. In the book of Romans, Paul argues uh, right from the beginning this point. He says, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. So the, the motif of this darkness until you have light shed on through the gospel, the good news of Christ, is all throughout the scriptures. So when Jesus says he's the light of the world, he shines into the dark part of our hearts and he chases out the darkness. This isn't a, this isn't a witch hunt, as it were. This isn't, this isn't something bad, this is something good. We need the darkness chased out for our own good. And so you have a, a shepherd here, later who says, I am the shepherd who wants the best for us. And part of that means cleaning out what's on the inside that's been hidden. It's a hard process, but a good one. That's uncomfortable. We may want to hide. And maybe for the first time, perhaps you might embrace Jesus as the light of the world and renounce all that is dark. That's awesome. But perhaps you've noticed for most of you that we continue to struggle. Our hearts remain in a state of learning and conviction. And we hide, we justify, we deflect, we ignore, we blame, we cover up sin. And, uh, and John recognizes this in another book. You know, John wrote this gospel and then he, he kind of now is dealing with people who are walking with God. What does that look like now? He says, this is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. 
If we claim to have fellowship with him, yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's a fascinating verse because John is talking not just about this vertical relationship, and a lot of us maybe talk about Jesus is the light of the world, I'm in a relationship with him, it's me and him, it's a spiritual reality, but it doesn't stop there. Here's a horizontal working out of what it means if you say Jesus is the light of the world, you've embraced that reality, it has an impact on our relationships with each other. And if we can't be in fellowship with God and also not in fellowship with each other, because then we're continuing to walk in darkness. If we say we're walking the light as he is in the light, only then can we really have fellowship with one another. There's all kinds of practical applications for this. We can say we're in fellowship with God, but not one another apparently, and that's pro problematic and disingenuous. So open, honest, real, vulnerable relationships with each other are a gauge of whether or not we're actually walking out this reality of saying that Christ is the light of the world. He's lighting our way as well. It's not, it's not just there's a great passage and, and you know, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount saying, if you've got this light, don't, don't just keep it secret, go out and share it with others as well. But in a sense, as Peter says to judgment begins with the house of God. Are we walking in fellowship with each other? Are we okay with shining light in our hearts mutually and even calling each other out in ways that say, I'm not sure you're seeing clearly in this light that we're supposed to be walking in. There's a freedom to be able to do that and a boldness because it's not just left without a solution. When we walk in that kind of way and we see that we've fallen short, we've been blind, well, we can confess that. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. That's the hope that we have and that we are led to. And it may seem dark in this respect in our world. It certainly does to me. Or perhaps even in the church with all the conversations that we're having, why don't we get it? Why aren't we walking in this kind of fellowship? Why aren't we vulnerable and honest? Why are we so self-protecting instead of dying to self? Well, when we lean into the reality that Christ is the light of the world, we have the freedom not only to confront the darkness in us, but to know that he has a solution for it. So let's lean into that with each other and know that there is a hope, not just in, 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 in the repair work to be done, but in the work that he will ultimately do as well. So Jared was sharing with me a podcast I listened to yesterday by Andrew Peterson, who's a musician. Somebody asked him what his favorite song was. He said it's a nine-minute song that I guess he never plays at a concert because no one can pay attention for nine minutes to a song. But, uh, but he, he, he unpacked some of what that is. But even in this podcast, he was referring to a J.R.R. Tolkien phrase of eucatastrophe. A, a catastrophe is something that's gone horribly wrong. We're living in catastrophic times, right? On, on so many levels. But eucatastrophe is a good catastrophe. That is, it's something that upsets the, the, the way things are in a good way. And he says the first eucatastrophe was the incarnation that we see in John 1. That Jesus 
catastrophically came into the world and upset it in a good way. And now darkness can be overcome because of light. And the second was the resurrection. In, in the face of darkness and death, Jesus bursts forward from the grave and declares that a new dawn, a new era is upon us. And I would argue that both of those prefigure the you catastrophe of his second coming when he breaks back into the world and this, this time of waiting for everything to be resolved happens and it's it everything is right all that we've been striving for and we have little down payments of that and i think the church even in a multi-ethnic church is a beautiful picture of what that can look like but we continue to struggle with that reality and yet we do it because we know there's a time when the you catastrophe will occur and jesus comes back and everything that's wrong is made right we spend ourselves on that reality now but ultimately speaking it will happen when jesus the light of the world comes and shines once and for all casting out all the darkness and make everything right and that's not just a picture that i have in my own mind that's one that john who wrote revelation says in revelation 21 21 i did not see a temple in the city because the lord god almighty and the lamb are its temple the city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it for the glory of god gives it light and the lamb is its lamp so this christ as the light of the world is not just a reality in the present but a hope for the future and that time when everything is resolved and jesus himself is the lamp burning into eternity and the one who shines the glory of god and the call here when jesus says i am the light of the world is to recognize that reality now and to begin to make it manifest in our daily lives. And if you listen to me enough, I'm not concerned just with the theory or the theology or the doctrine, which can so often be left out just spinning in some ethereal world. Jesus became flesh, and he put this to the test in real relationships, and he's calling the church to do the same. And as we lean into and step into this reality and, and, and strive for fellowship, it's hard and there's some darkness that needs to be rooted out, but it's good because we know that Christ is with us. He will never abandon us. So he's doing something in us that he's going to complete at some point in the future. When we gather together and we enjoy a fellowship meal at the table with no masks, and no hand sanitizer, <laughs> and no distance between us, and the light is the very presence of Christ himself. He is the light of the world. So that is all that I think of when we come to, and it's just, frankly, it was hard to combine. There is so much more that could be said about this. Jesus is the light of the world. So that's just a tiny little taste of some of it, but we'll be able to look more at the, uh, at the claims that Jesus makes in the future as well. So, um, well, let's, let's uh, kind of lean towards la wrapping it up. I know we've been spending some time together, but just, just briefly, and I'll, I'll give a benediction. If, uh, if you, because uh, I think this worked pretty well before, what, what does that make you think of? What kind of responses, knee-jerk responses even, do you have to that, that reality that Christ is the light of the world or other insights that you would like to offer? Um, so just a response or an additional insight, just briefly around this and then we'll close. Does anybody have any more thoughts?
I do actually. Um, I was studying, uh, I love words, words mean something. And like when you're studying in Genesis, the Hebrew, um, there's the darkness is Chosek and the light is Or. So Chosek is like the absence of God, that it's a spiritual dreading darkness, right? And so then the light, when he says, let there be light, that word is Or, then it is the presence of God, the illuminated presence of God. And that's what I imagine Yeshua saying, when he says, I am the light of the world, I imagine him saying, I am the illuminated fullness presence of mm. God. And coming in, because, you know, he was the word and the word was with God. And he came, he, the light came into the darkness and the darkness to it. Not, it's that illuminated presence of God as the light. I just think it's incredible to think about that. That's great. That's a much easier way to understand than ontological reality. But that sounds so sophisticated when I say that. It's just hard to get away from it. <laughs> Thank you. Anybody else? Jesus is the light of the world. Mark, I was going back to the uh, what, what you had to say about the Trinity, and uh, it may be a mystery, but it is not illogical mm. in that it is three who's and one it. It would be different if we said it was three persons and and only one person that would be illogical mm. but we're not saying that we're saying three persons three who's one it mm. thanks i've always thought that it's interesting that um jesus says he's the light of the world and that's the only claim then that he tells his believers is that you are the light of the world mm. He says, I'm the bread of life, but he doesn't say you're the bread of life. Hmm. He says, you are, you know, feed the hungry, but he doesn't say you are the bread of life. But that's always been interesting to me that he has said, you are the light of the world. You are a city set on a hill. So like, what can we glean from Jesus being the light of the world that then we are to take that into the world and be. That's, yeah, that's interesting that an illuminating presence, if you mm -hmm. want to call it that, to be salt and light. Interesting observation. Yeah, that's interesting. I'd like to say that we really need the light now more than ever. Mm. Plenty of darkness to overcome with the light. True. A good thing to pray. Okay. Um. I learned, I learned that we have we have to always be ready because the Lord is coming soon and he is going to be here like any year. Any year. In any year, not in, in a year. <laughs> hey, a prophetic utterance. <laughs> Get ready. Hey, was that Gypsy or Lilith? Lilith. Thanks, Lilith. Thanks for sharing. Well, just keep can continue to, to to reflect on this and know that uh, you know I, I long to be with you again in, in person, and I'm grateful for your long suffering patience in this process. 
uh, remember the three words I shared at the beginning, peace and wisdom and charity. And I want to continue to pray that we are at peace despite what's happening. We can be. That we have wisdom for what it looks like to move forward. Please pray for that. And that we'd be charitable and, and believing the best about each other as, as we move forward as well. Because people are going to have different ideas and opinions about best, best ways forward. That's just always been the case. And we need to be charitable with one another toward that. So I look forward to gathering with you virtually next week. And then in person, if you're able to join us, please love to have good enough weather to be able to actually do it next Sunday at Shopworker Park. And uh, we'll share more information as time goes on. I'm going to give you a benediction then from the book of Second Thessalonians. And then we'll uh, hopefully you'll enjoy the rest of your Lord's Day. This is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse, verses 16 and 17. Receive this benediction. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope, encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. And everybody gathered via Zoom said... Amen. Love you all. Have a wonderful day. And I'll see you hopefully next week or sometime before that. Bye. Thanks, Mark. Thanks. Bye. 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 Bye.